It's all good. Um, very good. Hey, um, as Pastor Rob said, um, I work in a, a number of different spaces. It's all predominantly around uh, kids' ministry. So uh, from a local church all the way through to uh, serving across uh, nationally, being uh, able to be in a number of churches around Australia, and then also work uh, for an international uh, non-for-profit with the sole focus to get the Bible in the hands of every child. And uh, they're the creators of uh, the Bible app for kids. I know that you use the Bible app for kids curriculum here in your early childhood. And for parents with a young toddler age, you can download that app. It's a great app. And uh, then there's a whole lot of other resources on YouVersion um, that we partner with to, uh, to get the Word of God into every child. So this morning, I'm going to be talking um, about uh, a number of my passions, the church, family, and the Word of God, and how that all works uh, together. And part of that is uh, we're going to uh, launch this here called the Bite Size Bible, something we did last year in our local church, and it was a, uh, an engagement tool to help parents in the home uh, to, to bring uh, small bite-sized bits, as the name denotes, uh, to understand uh, Scripture. And uh, all the research shows that uh, that by simply reading the Bible once a week, just once, it's a low bar, but once a week uh, decreases so much in teenage lives and, and that's children and going into teens um, around identity issues. Uh, it starts to decrease anxiety and uh, who thought, right, the Word of God is uh, a powerful and living tool. Um, we sometimes hear this, we get um, a little bit complacent in our Christian walk, I know I do, and uh, it's that every moment where you go back to the Word of God that you're like, oh wow, okay, it is powerful. And as the Word says, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts through, cuts through all these um, problems, these societal problems. And uh, many societal problems that are happening right now as we look, we're, uh, we're at this age where we think it's the first time many of these things um, have happened, uh, but society sort of goes around in circles and, and it loops, and uh, there's a famous quote uh, that says, young people today are lazy, and uh, they rest their elbows on their table when they eat. They're disrespectful and they're rude, and uh, it goes on, and, uh, and the question's posed. Uh, it says, uh, what generation are we talking about? Is this today? It was, it was written by Aristotle. And uh, if you do history, you look back and go, wow, the same problems back then are the same whinges and complaints about the next generation. They're rude, they don't listen to their elders, they're disconnecting. Uh, currently, right now, we have six generations that are living in Australia or around the world, six generations that date all the way back. Uh, Gen Alpha is the latest generation, and uh, in the next uh, 18 months, we'll be uh, moving into what we call Generation Beta and uh, the babies that are born from there. So our Generation Alpha right now ranges from 13-year-olds down to babies. You've obviously then got the Gen Z, Gen Y, uh, Gen X. We've got the um, baby boomers and you go all the way back to the different uh, generations and here we are, six different generations forged together, living together at the moment and my goodness, that can cause some complexity. Um, the way that I see the world is radically different to the way that my 13 or 15 or 9-year-old see the world, but it's radically different to how my 72-year-old father sees the world, and, uh, and, and different things have shaped life. But what I'm seeing right now across society is a, is a few things that are happening, and number one, there really is a deconstruction of truth that's taking place. 
It's a deconstruction of truth. I would say, as I talked to my father, as I said, was 72, he grew up in Australia that would be, um, at that stage, you would say, was mostly would be considered a Christian nation. Um, I only became a Christian at 15. We didn't go to church growing up. But his um, upbringing was in a Catholic school, and Christianity was, uh, or at least uh, saying the Lord's Prayer, was common in every sphere. Uh, Praying was normal in this uh, Christian world. But today, uh, we see, we're we're seeing it being eliminated everywhere. And there's a deconstruction of truth where my truth matters, my opinion matters, and how I feel about um, my feelings matter a whole lot. Um, has anyone offended someone's feelings in the last 12 months? Or is it just me when I say things? You, you upset people's feelings. Um, my wife's a counsellor, and um, apparently I'm not allowed to say I don't care about your feelings to, when, when I'm dealing with people in church. Their feelings do matter, apparently. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is their feelings matter, but I get frustrated at their attachment to a lack of truth. So we've got these two opposing forces, my wife and I. She's a feeler and she's a, all, uh, it's about emotions and she's counselling and then I'm a thinker and it's all based on truth and justice. And so I argue from my head, she argues with her heart and we go round in circles <laughs> until I concede that I'm wrong. seems to be the way that it goes because my truth is my truth and I hold firm to my truth but the world does this we deconstruct truth Judges 21-25 says in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit that sounds like today right that sounds like young adults teenagers uh, 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 right through to, to, to the older generation it's just like no I've been doing it this way this is it and, and they deconstruct. The problem with this thought about the deconstruction of truth is when my truth opposes your truth and then we become in conflict. And, and, then, and then I start to victimize you for you not believing my truth. And then, and then so what happens is we see all these fights erupt on Facebook. Whoever, like me, goes to the comments on Facebook and if it's anything over 50 or 60, you're like, you dive in. I'm just here for the comments, you know. Even you just write that in the comments, here for the comments, so that you get the alerts to keep up to speed with the story. Does anyone else do this or just me? There's certain forums or um, conversations or people that I will follow. Well, I don't follow them because I don't really want to be attached to it, but you always go back in and look. Um, And I go in, I watch these arguments. Never once have I seen, you're right, I'll delete my comment, I was so insensitive. No one concedes because they hold firm to their truth and they argue this truth. It's a problem when you um, stick to your truth and you fight your truth because what happens is you start to believe your own rhetoric. You start to end up in an echo chamber and and you're believing what your truth shapes your life to be. But when you lean to your own understanding, you start to become disillusioned with life because The truth that only you can produce is not what God has for our life. And so this disillusionment sets in that what starts to be felt when you've changed your truth is a feeling internally of a a loss of purpose, a a dissatisfaction of life where I'm not sure if I'm happy with the way things are. And so the second part is a disillusionment with our lives. 
I'd sum it up with this comment right now about society. Never has any one culture had so much and enjoyed it so little. We're all miserable and we have more than we could possibly ask for. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm, I've got to change my mindset. Do you know you can't have gratitude and anxiety in your mind at the same time? A way just to shift the anxiousness and disillusionment with our own feelings right now is start to be thankful for the things I have. Do you know what I start to be thankful for? I'm thankful for the car crash I didn't have. I'm thankful for the sickness that I don't have. I'm thankful that, God, you are good. I I, I wake up in the morning, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for where I live. If I'm, in, if I'm on the unemployment benefits in Australia, I'm in the top 3% of money earners in the world. Where does that shape you? If you're earning more than unemployment, then you're pushing up in the more percent than that. I'm telling you now, there are people, there's young adults. Oh, don't get me started. I'll get on a rant. I'm a third coffee. I've woken up now. My 16-year-old earns more per hour than I did when I did an apprenticeship. I was on $5.25 an hour. That's child slavery. That's what that is. He's like, oh, yeah, $16 or something, whatever it is. What the? You can start paying for holidays for me. (laughs) We get disillusioned. Ecclesiastes talks about it when the writer goes, everything's meaningless. Everything's meaningless. It's this disillusionment, but I believe it comes out of a a deconstruction of the truth, but it leads to something worse, worse, which is a detachment from others. Because when you end up in an echo chamber of your own thoughts, or we start to attach ourselves to other people who think the same and you get isolated in that space, we're disillusioned with our lives, we start to complain, we start to get others who um, can confirm or jump on board our narrative that we've created. Uh, often in trauma and often uh, when we're uh, hurt or we feel unsafe, we create a narrative in our own minds to lead ourselves to safety, the feeling of safety. And so when something doesn't feel right, we start to create a narrative or a story around a circumstance. Something's happening at work and all of a sudden you've created this whole narrative in your mind about your work colleagues that isn't the truth, which You've disillusioned and got dissatisfied in the area you are and you detach and end up over here creating safety in your own mind and next thing you know, you're away from truth, you're disillusioned with what you're doing and your purpose and you're isolated with no one to say, stop. Isn't it the greatest thing in the world when someone says, don't? We don't like it, but it's good for you. Walked into church the other day, had my thinking face on. Yeah, apparently I frown. My mate goes, you all right? I said, I'm fine. And he goes, well, you should tell your face. Okay. That's a good friend right there. I don't mind that. I like it. And so the next week I walked in. Morning. You walk around. You look like an idiot, but I'm like. <laughs> 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's the thing about any documentary I've ever watched in the wild. The lion or the hunter doesn't go headlong into the middle of a pack and pick a fight. 
He waits for the isolated, alone, disillusioned one at the back on their own, and that's who he's going to attack. We are up against spiritual uh, being that wants to see your life not succeed. But what he'll do is he'll wait to that disillusionment, that detachment, the deconstruction to take place and get you over on the side here, and that's where the enemy really wants to get you to bring you down to make you ineffective, ineffective for what he's called you to do. So that's great uh, that you say all that, Andy. Awesome. Thanks for bringing us up to speed with the terrible world we live in. But what are we going to do about this? How can we combat this? Well, I saw a research a little while ago that spoke about spiritual vibrancy. It pricked my interest because of just the word vibrancy. I mean, hear the word vibrancy a lot, and I'm like, what is spiritual vibrancy? If I want anything, I want that. I want to be vibrant. I want to be alive. I want, to, I want my, my spiritual life to, to be vibrant. And as I looked into it, there was three components. This is not a Christian study. It was a worldwide religion study. And it said three components create spiritual vibrancy. And as I read that and I take that this morning, I want to apply the three elements that can apply to our context today to help us to live a spiritual, vibrant life. And I believe these three things combat those three elements that I just spoke about at the beginning. It combats our disillusionment with our lives. It combats the deconstruction of truth. It combats being detached from others. So let's have a look at this, this creating spiritual vibrancy pie, when these three bits of the puzzle are put together, is number one, in all of the spiritual elements, there was a trust in an authoritative text. Now, we call this the Bible. And, and other religions have their text, but any spiritual vibrancy it has a spiritual text, the Word of God. This is what combats truth. This is where you're not there creating your own truth. You can find out what the truth is. And so number one is a trust and authority text. Number two, as we have a look at this, talks about a faith community involvement. Well, welcome to church. That's what you're doing this morning. It's faith in the community involvement. Something over the last few years, and I'll dive into this in a moment, showed us that in COVID, when all of a sudden we couldn't meet, well, in South Australia, all three days that you had lockdown, um, that was such a hard time. Glad you made it through. Um, actually, I can't complain. I'm, I was in Queensland on the Gold Coast. I, yeah, locked me down, and I could go five kilometers. Fine. I've got my cafe. I've got a lake. I've got, I'm good. I'll work from here. Um, I made digital content for a year. It was awesome. Um, no one distracted me. It was fantastic. But you know what I did find? I find I was pretty lonely in aspects. There's so, only so much screen you can do, videos, and it was all novel at the beginning, and we're all connecting in. But what I did miss, I, I miss community. I miss that community involvement. And we had to go back to church and do church with masks. Did you have masks? You have to do church with masks. Oh, they're terrible. Um, Better than being at home, though. So we had these, had these, we did all of that. But what I learned over those next few years is that everyone's run back to community, and I think that's fantastic. Everyone's run back to community. We've seen church um, dramatically grow on the on the Gold Coast. We've seen uh, uh, people wanting community like never before. Our connect groups are healthier than they ever have been before, and, and so that push to be in community, a push to serve alongside one another, it's so important. But it doesn't just stop there. There's a third part that I think is equally important, which is the positive family experiences. It's this moment where 
you take the Word of God in the home. You take this faith community and the elements that you have, but it's in the home. And it's not one part or the other. Because I think what we can do is we can do church really well. We can turn up for church. We do this. You're here this morning. You go home and you don't think about God for the rest of the week. You come back next week. You go, hi. And, and, And we do that. Or we can get really active even in church. Get really active and serve and be on every team and do everything but yet we're not allowing the Word of God to transform our life. We're here because we need social gathering or we need connection. And over many years, I've seen people who, who, who come to church and it, it's, it's that. It's, it's they're there for the social element. But we, we have to be able to take it to our midweek. And, and, and what I have certainly seen, and it was probably the important aspect that um, helped me start to create other resources like the Bite sized Bible, was that we need to bring this in the home. For many years as a kid's pastor, what I would see is parents would come and outsource the faith formation of their children to the church, drop them off on a Sunday. That's great, but then research was done and it was that 91% of pastors said it's the parents' responsibility, primary responsibility for faith. 89% of parents said it is my responsibility, but less than 10% of churches were combining what happened on a Sunday with what happened during the week and helping this link to take place. And so as I saw this, it jumped out to me because I thought, this is so true in our context around church that we need the Word of God, faith community, and positive family experiences. So I want to speak into these three areas to help us. And it isn't just for families. It just isn't for parents. It isn't, it's for, if you're single, if you're a young adult, if you're um, sharing at home, if you're a teenager in your parents' home, if you're newly married, if you're whatever season of life, if you're an empty nester, it doesn't matter what season of life you're in, these three elements to bring spiritual vibrancy come into play. The first is trust in an authoritative text. That's the Bible. We need to be more and more in love with the Word of God than ever before. I am falling more and more and deeper and deeper in love with the Word of God as I get older. I remember speaking to my first pastor, he was 85, and he said, I said, haven't you read everything? I was young, 15, haven't you read? He goes, no. I said, do you ever get tired? And he goes, every day as I read, I just see a new aspect and a new dimension of God. And I think the reason for that is because it's reflective of whatever we're going through in life right now. And we're finding a comfort in him, we're finding who he is, and we're in community with him. But what I do find often is that we get the Word of God and then we try to shoehorn that into our experience. And so what happens is we don't read the Bible for ages. Does anyone have that function on version that catch me up 27 days that you've missed out of the 30-day devotion? Anyone? No, just me? Okay. You start off with good intentions three, three days in a row. That was a hot run. And then you're sort of 27 off. We have all intention. Or you go, where's my Bible? And you finally find it and you, you've got to dust off that you know, layer of dust on your Bible. It's hard. I think we all do it. We know the Word of God's important. But, but, but have we created patterns of behavior in our life that allow us to get the Word of God into us? Uh, I said to the kids team and I said um, at the parenting last night, I know full well that none of you are going to do a devotion this week based on what I preach about today. None of you. None of you do devotions based on what pastor preaches every week. It's heartbreaking for us preachers. But this is part 
of faith formation. This is something you come, you corporately worship. You can't do that at home. You come and you join faith and you be with one another. You hear the word of God and what's said this morning will spark a thought, spark an action, spark a response. But this week, you're still responsible for your faith. I'm not. And you're going to go and you're going to read the Word of God. You're going to pray. You're going to worship. You're going to add patterns of behavior. And in doing so, as parents particularly, we're going to model this for our kids. And we're going to be able to integrate this into our home. I would look now and I would say that the patterns of behavior that were in my life had to be radically shifted. The Word of God says that the renewing of our mind, the transforming through the Word of God needs to take place. I've said it a couple of times, I, I, I became a Christian at age 15. My family are not Christians yet, and they're still, um, I come to church occasionally at Christmas or Easter, and that's about it. My three boys, however, pray every night. My mum, bless her, decided to teach um, the boys how to pray the Lord's Prayer, because she thought it was appropriate. They're at a Christian school, and they're like, oh, you have such wonderful kids, you know, they know the whole Lord's Prayer. I'm like, well, I didn't teach them that. I'll, I'll take it. But I remember the patterns of behavior that were in my life I needed to have transformed and changed. By the age of eight or nine, patterns of behavior are set in your life. You could be in your 60s right now, and you're still carrying on the way your mother did. It's terrible, but unless you wrestle back and let God transform habits of behavior, it's the worst moment of my life. I shared with the parents last night when I said a dad joke that I thought was hilarious. My kids are like rolling their eyes. It's like, yes, that's the perfect outcome. But my dad was there as well, and he's doing this. <laughs> no, no, I've become Bruce. This is terrible. I don't want to be him. And you don't want these patterns of behavior, and there's ones around spiritual life, or there's ones about practical or outcomes or emotional responses, but we need to let the Word of God transform us. I've found more and more if I read the scriptures, it's not a behavior modification program. The Bible actually needs to be transformative in our lives, and it would come about by the way that we read text that really matters. As we read, let me explain, there's these terms, indicative and imperative, and they refer to two different verb moods commonly associated in the New Testament authors. And so although that we have trans. Um, translated from Greek to English, some of the, 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 the mood of the words have been missed. And so the emphasis placed on how we read the English text is very different to the way it was intended when it was written. So you've got indicative, which is a mood of certainty or actuality in a sentence. And then you've got the imperative, which is a mood of command. So you've got the command part of the scripture based on the unfixed and unwavering aspect of the scripture. Let me give you an illustration if you're a little confused. I'll put it up here. Here's a text and we'll do this right now. The actual part of the text is through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Through Christ is the fixed part. The part that is the command is that you can now go and do all things. But the command can only come based off the fixed, unchanging nature and aspect of the Word of God. But we read the text this way. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. No, the text is should be read. I can do all things because... 
Christ is who he is, and I am in him, and he strengthens me to do it. That, that's the way that it, it's positioned. But we put the emphasis, we make ourselves the hero of every story. Isn't it amazing that whenever, you know, you, you think of, you, you read Bible stories, not one of us is saying, yeah, I'm the blind guy that just needs to have my spiritual eyes opened. I'm the guy that's got some sickness that needs healing. You know, you don't, you don't put yourself as you cast your mind off to a movie script. You, you know, you're not the guy that dies in the first scene. We always put ourselves as the hero. It's like David and Goliath. Oh, I've got to go battle my giant. It's got nothing to do with that. It's talking about God battling idolatry and killing Goliath, which is set up as sin and death. And, and, the, and the seed of David is coming. It's Jesus who came and beat the giant so that we could be set free. And yet we don't read this whole meta-narrative of, of, of God. We just take isolated stories and apply it to our lives to shoehorn in so that we can have our behavior modified or we can live a healthier and happier and better life. No, you are deconstructing his truth in order to suit your circumstances. And this is a danger because what I often hear is preachers get up, okay, five ways that you can do all things. This morning, I'm going to give you five ways to do all things. And then by Thursday, you've done one, you're disillusioned and you're, I, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm not here to tell you five ways to do all things. I'm here to tell you that you can be in Christ. And when you're in Christ, by Thursday, some of these actions will take place as you put the emphasis on Christ, not you. And so as we read the Word, and this is how spiritual vibrancy takes place, is when we read the Word of God, we're passionate about the Word of God, we allow the Word of God to shape who and what we are, then that is the first thing that starts to shape vibrancy. But you, it, it won't do it mutually alone. If you just have the Word of God, you're sitting in your house, you're isolated, just reading and reading and reading and reading and reading, you've missed the purpose because we are called for a community. We're called to be part of a body of believers. We're called to a faith community. A faith community that's so important. Again, we individualize and we make out like, what am I called to do? Have you, have you ever heard someone ask that question? Have you asked yourself that question? What's my calling? Well, let me tell you that as you dig through Scripture, the first thing you're called to is Christ. The second thing you're called to is one another. The third thing you're called to is to reach the lost. You've got to dig down through Scripture a fair bit in order to find what your individual purpose and outworking of your giftings is. But we have made giftings the priority in the life of the church, and we've reduced Christ to be nominal, and now all we're doing is trying to work out, how do I get to do the thing that he made me to do? Well, you get to do the thing that he made you do by putting Christ first and loving one another. Just start there. I've got a saying, bare minimum, be a Christian. I just start there. Like love, joy, peace, patience. Let's just start there. But no, we're sitting here going, what's my gifting? Ooh, I'm a prophet. I'm an evangelist. I'm a this. Man, you're a jerk. That's what you are. <laughs> I just love someone, be kind, start there. And care about your gifting. Because as spiritual vibrancy comes about, when we are in community, it talks about this, and the picture that is used 
um, by the writers in the New Testament is around the building of the temple, the temple being the house of God, this being the house of God, but the temple is not going to be built. And Jesus said, I'll tear it down and rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about the physical temple. He's talking about people. He only cares about people. People were his purpose. And so it, it was messing with everyone's mind. And so then later in scripture, Jesus is referred to as the chief cornerstone that everything else is built upon. And that's us. And the text says that where the living stones are knit together, that's where the presence of God is. We think the presence of God is during the third song as we hit that crescendo, that moment. And by the worship team, we're brilliant, by the way. But we think that that's the presence of God. Let's go to the drums. Oh, they're the presence of God. Where's my flag? The presence of God is where we're knit together. The presence of God is where we're, we're, we're actually knit together. And, we're, and, we're, and the only way the stones were knit together is when the rough edges were, 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 were knocked off and they fit together so perfect. And we fit together perfectly when my friend says, mate, you look miserable. Would you lighten up? Thank you. But what happens often is we get offended so easily. We get offended so easily because we've deconstructed truth and, we're, and the truth should be that, that, that I'm the head, not the tail, and I should be this. And we make the gospel about us. We put ourselves as the main character, not Christ. We get disillusioned when our emotions and feelings and society aren't matching up with what the truth that we've created. And then we get to this point, we come into community and we don't like the word no. We don't like authority. We don't like someone to say, hey, listen, here's a thought. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Like, we don't like this. I love my connect group. I'm not Pastor Andy at my connect group. I'm Andy. And I'm talking about my struggles, my challenges, issue I've got with my 13-year-old, problem I've got right now, finances, whatever it is, and I'm just real and I sit. Can you pray with me? Can we put Christ at the center of this? And because I sit with a group of men and we just do life together every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., it's inconvenient. I want to go to the gym, so I go at 5 a.m. on a Tuesday. So I put my nine-year-old to bed every Tuesday night at 7.30. I'll go put him to bed. Who, dads, do you know this trick? Go to sleep. But I prioritize going to Connect Group because I want people in my life to say no, to adjust me. I want to serve at church. I'm at the point right now where I'm actively trying not to be on staff on a Sunday where I have function and roles and I have to lead things. I want to get all that done during the week. I want to turn up to church with my teenage sons in this season and I want to, I want to serve on the car park. I want to serve on the door. I want to actively show them what it's like to serve in the house. Because if we can serve, if we can build community, it starts to layer the Word of God and we have the second part of spiritual vibrancy. The third part is faith in the home. This is when it gets really difficult and for married couples and for parents, we start to have a look here at this, these pie charts of statistics that talk about how often we pray with our children. And it, it basically 35% would do it maybe once a week or a couple of times a week. So 65% are never or very rarely ever praying with their children. Reading the Word of God is, is, is down here, or doing family devotions is such a small percent. Several times a week is 6%. 
talking about spiritual values. In a worldwide study, it was um, what is the number one thing you want to pass on to your children, and passing on spirituality or values came in at seventh, the seventh most important thing. I'm saying right now the most important thing I have for my children is for them to know God, that they know God, they know that they're loved, know who they are. If you don't have children and you are married, to pray with your spouse. Praying with your spouse literally flips the divorce rate on its head. It's the single number one thing that has the most change in any, in any married couple. You can put in, you know, speak nicer, hug or kiss every day, all these sorts of things, and they, it's supposed to be amazing. I'm telling you, the number one thing is pray with your spouse. Quite often, my prayers are prayers of forgiveness, repentance. God, help me. I remember the first time um, we, had, we brought Ryan, my oldest, home, and uh, we put him in the, in the cot, and, uh, and I'd go in there in the middle of the night, or if you're selling and putting him to sleep. And the scripture, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it, is preached so often, slightly mispreached. The, the word... Uh, uh, when it says train is actually dedicate or consecrate and in the way they should go is the way that God first intended so essentially we're handing our children back over to God to allow him to do what he already purposed and, and our job is to help steward this and, and so I'm there and I'm praying and, I, and my prayer would often be God bless him keep him safe keep him healthy let him grow up when he's older and I'm declaring over him but then very quickly the prayers flipped God help me be a good dad Oh, God, help me be a good husband. God, help me be just good. Let me be a good person. And it's funny as you start to pray in context of marriage and family that it very quickly comes back to that I can't do this and I need you, Christ, at the center of all that I do. And we're reminded back to the text in the New Testament over 140 times that says, in Christ or in him. And we start to see that this starts to layer, that we've got the Word of God, we've got what we have in our faith community, that we start to bring that into the home and we start to model this, we start to live out this. But you can't mutually just do one without the other. I can have a really good home, and I did. I grew up in a fantastic home. My parents are still married. They're, they're, they're not Christians, but they're still married. They're, they're wonderful people. I played professional sport and my dad would fly to every game and he was at every game he was a model of a present father I had a good home that was fantastic but I didn't know Christ I didn't know a community that would start to fix and correct me so by the time I was 21 I I was quite fixed on who I was and what I was and I wouldn't allow people to speak into me I didn't like community I didn't like correction I wasn't used to that And so I can have one element, but I wasn't living a spiritually vibrant life. I just had a good home. Or I could just have the Word of God and I could go live up in the hills and just read the Word of God every day and then I'm not effective. But I'm called to be with people. Or I can just come to church every week and do this, but it's no different to the footy club and it's just become a social gathering that's not spiritually transforming me. And you can see that one in isolation is good, But three connected is where it comes together and is empowering. 
I'm just going to pause and talk about this element of how we've created something that will help bring these three elements into the home, which is the bite-sized Bible. And for any families here today as we've launched this, in fact, there's a great church in Adelaide that's um, also launching the uh, it this weekend. We gave this away. We created it at Glow Church. We wrote it. Then we took the logo off it and said, every church, you can have it. You can do what you want. And the whole idea of the bite-sized Bible is small incremental bits of the Bible each day that you can read to understand and have conversations with families. And we shaped it in a way that it is um, about different books of the Bible. I'm going to send Pastor Rob a video that explains it. He'll share it out to all of the church families this week. But every single book that we have done, and it is in series, so it's the Gospels and the Book of Acts, it's Psalms, hymns, and spiritual things, it's the Pentateuch, it's um, the Epistles, and so there's different groupings of them, but each book of the Bible we look at, and we find out what the big idea of that Bible is. So the big idea of Isaiah that I've opened here is that Isaiah gives a message to God's people to encourage them to obey God and let them know that Jesus is coming. That is the summary of Isaiah. How does, God, how does Isaiah fit into God's big story? Well, God kept his promise to save his people. How does Isaiah fit into my story? Well, I can believe that God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin. And so it's this simple bite-sized overview of each of these books. And at the top, there's a QR code that you scan. You can watch a two-minute video with your child and then discuss this. How often should you read the Bible? More. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know. But do it more. More. That's all I can say. 32% of teenagers in Australia right now identify as Christian. If four, but when you put four or six marker points around this, four belief systems, read the Bible once and pray once, it reduces from 32% to 3%. We drop 29%, which is the difference between nominal and committed Christian. I'd say for... Many Christians and churches and parents and teenagers and children, that statistic might be there. We believe those four belief statements that you can only come to God through Jesus, that He is the, uh, that, that God is um, made up of the Trinity. So just basic theological points are the four, but read the Bible once a week, pray once a week. My challenge, have you dropped into that cultural or nominal Christian category or do you sit squarely in that committed Christian that you're committed to prayer, that you're committed to, to reading the Bible? Last night at the parenting night, I encouraged and spoke about how to habit stack. Just add things on to what you're already doing. So for me, I pray in the car with our boys every morning when we drive to school. Every one of us prays. And the shape of that prayer is declaring over the day, God, we declare over this day this is going to be brilliant. God, I pray right now for opportunity. I pray for wisdom. James says, ask for wisdom and you'll add it, but God, let that wisdom be added to the knowledge that we learn at school. So we declare this over, each of the boys pray. Then at night, every night when they go to bed, doesn't matter if you're over for dinner, we'd excuse ourselves and say, hey, our boys are going to bed, we're just going to go pray with them. We're unashamed about that, we will go and pray, and we pray every night. And at night, the prayer is shaped in a way of thankfulness. God, we're thankful for this. And I think for whether you're a family, or you've got kids, whether you're doing that with them or individually, can I encourage you, you get in a car and you drive to work. Even if you drive one kilometer, you've got time to go, God, I declare over this day. Our kid's school is literally 1.5 kilometers away. Two sets of lights, it does not take long to get there. So I'm not talking about that we're 
praying for hours and calling down revival. We have not got long. Speed that prayer up, buddy. We got two green lights. Let's go. (laughs) Amen, amen, let's go. But at night, you can be thankful. Taking that moment, you could take it a step further, get a journal and start to write down what you are thankful for. Be reflective in that space. Add onto the habits what you might do. What night should you read the Bible? I don't know. Wednesday sounds like good. You got nothing on. Read the Bible every Wednesday. Don't watch Netflix. Although I really want to watch Masters of the Air. New series coming out. I digress. Wednesday, read the Bible. Just pick something and add a habit and build upon it. But as you build upon that habit, have the habit of being at church each week, being in community, being in connection. And as the Word of God, as family and as home integrate together, I believe a greater spiritual vibrancy is going to come across one heart church like never before. Can I invite the band back as we look to close the service this morning? If you're a family here this morning, you weren't here last night, please grab one of these bite-sized Bibles and utilize this in your home. We did a printed book for the purpose that it is there, it's accessible, it's tangible, you pick it up. I'm all for digital, it's why we included the QR codes, but I find that everything has gone digital, it gets lost and forgotten a lot easy. A bright colored book sitting there means, oh, I'm going to pick that back up. Here's a challenge, go back to the, go back to the Word of God, the, 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 the hard copy. I've fallen in love with one of my hard copy Bibles at the moment. It's fantastic. As a parent, it's a whole lot better than looking over and seeing me read the Bible than being on my phone. I could be reading my Bible, but they don't know if I'm on Fox Sports or not. Quite often I'm on Fox Sports. So how do we bring all this together? I want you to have a mental or a a visual picture this morning of like an orchestra. Or like our band here this morning. Our keys alone is good, but if it was just repetitive keys going over and over, it would probably get annoying. All the drums, as it starts, it would be just beating if it was just the drums. If it's just the Bible, it's good, but not good in isolation. But when a band and musicians and singers fuse together, you start to see, like an orchestra, everything working. And that's the mental or the visual picture I want you to imagine this morning as you go. That as you apply these three elements, that's where the harmony comes together and you see spiritual vibrancy. I'd love to pray for everyone this morning. Would you stand to your feet as we close out? And let me read this last text from 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. We've been called out of a darkness. We've been called into a light. We are His special people. And the way that we outwork and we live out this life is by being grounded in Christ, being in a community and integrating it into home, not separating spiritual and secular from our week. Sunday church and Monday church, it all works together. And so God, I pray right now over this incredible church, One Heart, I pray now that God, that they would have a passion to be the living stones of Christ, to be knit together, to be encouraged, to be corrected 
by one another. God, we thank You that we can have a greater love of Your Word. We pray right now that Your Word would be living and active in our lives. And we pray in our homes, whether we're young adults boarding with friends or whether we're with our parents or whether we are parents, whether we're empty nesters, whatever it might be, God, I pray that our home would be a place where, Jesus, You are at the centre of it. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know who any of you are, and I would love to give an opportunity. And I never finish a service, no matter where I am, without giving an opportunity for people to come to know Jesus. What I mean by that is simply asking God to be God and you not to be God anymore. We deconstruct truth and we become our own God. But we need to position Him as God first and foremost in our life. We do this by praying a simple prayer. We ask Jesus to come into our heart. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe it with our heart, we shall be saved. Saved from what? Well, saved from ourselves first. Saved from sin, saved from destruction. So I would love to pray a prayer this morning. I don't know who any of you are, and maybe you'd like to pray that prayer with me for the first time or the first time in a long time. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, give me a wave. I'd be honoured to lead you in a prayer this morning to ask Jesus into your heart. And if it's not, I'm just going to bless every person. I'm going to assume we all know Christ. But if there's anyone here that would love to pray that prayer, give me a wave. Then Jesus, I stand with my brothers, my sisters, and one last time, I bless them. Bless them now this morning. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.